Hello everyone and welcome to the first episode of the It's Just Not Your Day podcast with me, Temple Shot, and my friend here, Drayton. Hello. So, this podcast is designed to share stories and opinions, featuring a notable guest each episode where we discuss specific topics, but also have a free-flowing discussion about CB in general. Uh, so this first episode will be on the veteran experience with special guest Evo Loz Gaming, who I'm sure you all know is one of the most recognisable content creators uh, for Conqueror's Blade. Evo, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, hello, I'm Evo, Evo Loz Gaming, um, doing some variable quality YouTube videos. But <laughs> been around for an awfully, awfully long time, unfortunately, in this game. So <laughs> share some sort of experiences, a few stories about the game with you today. The aim of this one is to discuss the veteran experience. And I think to begin that, we need to really define what a veteran is. Um, what do we think? Any initial ideas? Well, I thought I might kick off with a little bit of a story, actually, maybe. Just to, just to take you back, a little bit of an experience I had with Temple way back October 2019, this is. So this is oh, before yeah. the seasons even started. So season one hadn't even happened yet. And Territory Wars was pre-season. So for a long series of reasons, I started a small little house at the time, just focused on basically training up new players. It all got a little bit carried away, and we ended up actually owning a bit of a land in an alliance called Ashen Phoenix. And through a sort of long series of events, it all went a bit wrong. <laughs> all got a little bit heated, should we say, and ended up splitting up. And I got a very strongly, strongly worded talking to from Temple. As, the, uh, as, we, as we tried to work it out. You me? Yeah. I would never do such a thing. <laughs> <laughs> Heaven forbid. Oh, th um, those were the fun times, weren't they? It was. Oh. How, how was... different was Territory Wars back then, Temple? It was so, uh, so oh, different, it, wasn't it? It was insane. I mean, you obviously that was before the seasons, right? So there was no capital uh -huh. to fight over, but that was just yep. the entire server fighting each other, basically. There was coalitions of... I mean, I was on the south side of like 30 houses, maybe, if not more. And the alliance meetings for that were horrendous, the Diplo meetings. Because I was, I was in a small house called um, End Raiders at the time. There was like 20, 30 of us in there, maybe. But for some reason, we ended up taking over control of the calls. It was me and um, Darkbread at the time. Um, I think I saw him in game the other day, actually. So I think he's come back to play a little bit. But yeah, it ended up being the two of us just leading these Diplo calls with all these people in there from all different areas, Spanish, German, French, all these players trying to organize it. We were in there for sometimes up to like six or seven hours in these Diplo calls. It was insane. <laughs> just having the entire Borderlands fight each other. It was a so very it was pre season. Time. Was preseason just Borderlands? It was like there were no other Ang Liang. No, it was the whole no, map. It was all. Yeah, it was oh, the whole map. Yeah, it was everything, yeah. yeah. So I, I, when I first started, I started out in Ang Liang. Um, in that region with and ended up just meeting these like five or six guys that was in Tuscan Raiders at the time. Then we ended up pairing up with Parat and Pack, who are one of the biggest houses at the start of the game. Because, um, yeah. of course, there was a lot of Germans to start with because there was that one big German streamer that got everybody into the game, basically. There was such a, a large German population at the start. But we ended up following Parat and Pact over to um, Orgolia, where we were fighting there. Then we went down to Dai Cheng um, a couple weeks later, and we were fighting there. And then we moved into the Borderlands to join up with ODT, with a main alliance then, um, fighting against... Um, what was Eden's house before they became Eden? Um, I can't remember the name now. This is, that's bad. My mind's gone completely blank. But I'm sure was... someone will remind you in the comments. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure plenty of you will remind me. Remind me, the center will be screaming at me because center knows because I've been with center for a very long time. But he he knows that I'm awful at names of players and remembering people and stuff like that. So he's always like, "Yeah, that was this person that did this, 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 and this." And I'm like, "Oh yeah, it was. It was that guy." <laughs> so yeah. So you've obviously but, been oh. playing since preseason. 
which is a hell of a long time ago. What is longevity something that we say defines a veteran with this? Is it something that, oh, you've been playing for a X number of seasons, therefore you're a veteran? I I don't know if that is personally. Um, I feel like it more comes into experience rather than just how long you've I been mean, playing. Yeah, it's got, to be, it's got to be a combination of things, I think, probably. Yeah. I mean, mm. I think it's safe to say, you know, I don't think it can, well, I don't think it can purely be skill-based, for example. I mean, I've been playing this game since Peter. I'm still a pretty bad player. You know, I, I'm certainly, when you compare, say, maybe to Temple, who's doing some of the CBL stuff, you know, there's definitely, you know, there's a clear, distinct gap in skill there. But, but even then, I wouldn't say I'm a top-level player. I, th- I think, personally, I'm just an above-average-level player, but I'm a good tactician. Right. Um, so, um, yeah. So, so that di- does make it hard to define, doesn't it? Because it's not, <laughs> yeah. it's not, a, it's not, you can't just say you have to have X percentage win rate or, you know, you have to be really good at certain yeah. things and it, because it's, it varies. Yeah, you can't even say level either because you look at people like the likes of Amir, for example, who consistently been a very low-level player in the game, but one of the, well, if not the best dual blade the game's ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, people like Echoes and Aru, who came through um, into Push or Kick and then into Origin, were originally in Jesters, and I think they were like level six or seven hundred when we when we picked them up into plebs, uh, not plebs, sorry, Push or Kick, and like they were top level players at the time. Um, so level is a very difficult. I don't think level's a good way of doing it. But then even if you look at game knowledge, it very very differs. I mean, we've had some funny stories the last couple of seasons in Origin with Dunkel, top level player, top level shot caller, didn't know you could press I to open your inventory. He always went through the menu up at the top, or going to the, the um, going to the um, billeting officer and accessing it that way. You know, little things like that, or you know, people didn't know you could zoom out if you're out on the open world to zoom out to the map. Things like that, which you consider basic knowledge, but a lot of these so-called veterans don't know these little things. So it's difficult to it's difficult yeah. ones to find. I didn't know you could control click on the veterancy line to add all the points. I used to. That's quite nice. That was really yeah. Don't feel bad about that one. Um, yeah, that was only what like two seasons ago that came in, I think, because everyone was complaining about it, and they finally yeah, added it. I had no good. idea until like a few weeks ago, and someone told me. I was like, "Wow, mm. that saves so much time." It, it does <laughs> save so much time, and especially for tournaments, the little crossover there as well, because a lot of the time when you go into these tournaments, if you're using um, like CBL, for example, where you have the tournament server for it, they give you all the units, and now they just have them automatically top line, and you have this stuff to change them. But originally, they would just be completely unleveled. You have to level every single unit you want to play, yeah. and it was. Every time you start a tournament, you have to spend like three or four hours just doing your skills, your units, your unit veterancies, all that kind of stuff. It took forever. <laughs> I think personally, it's safe to say hero level is not an indicator of a veteran either, because mm. I've seen players achieve 400 levels in one season. And mm. let's say they're level 1200, they're three seasons old. Have they got a decent barracks at that point? Do they have the depth of unit? Do they have, are they a single weapon? player like one trick pony or do they have actual knowledge of how to play other classes and their strengths and weaknesses i think it's really difficult to define but it, if we look at the survey that came out from my games not too long ago um last week or something mm. they the highest level bracket they gave was 500 plus do we consider five level 500 to be a veteran if we <laughs> take that I, I mean, like, like you said, you can do that in just over a season. Well, you can do it in one season if you play enough. Mm. I, I think a lot of it as well comes down from how well you're known in the community. Mm. That defines a veteran to an extent as well. Because if you are known in the community a lot, then that, will, that is your presence. That's how people know you. So, oh, it's that person. Yeah, I know him. Whereas if it's someone that could have played from beta that nobody knows, just been sat on the sidelines, maybe in cohorts since beta, no one's going to know who that is. You know? That's so, a good point, yeah. 
Yeah, certainly an element of that. It's, yeah, uh, it's a combination. It's a combination of time, skill, say notoriety to some extent. It's, it's a combination of that sort of feeds in to sort of trying to define this fairly sort of ambiguous veteran term. But yeah, I agree. Mm. I think I think that kind of highlights that the use of the word veteran is probably quite poor. It's not a good application of actually what it means. We can't define where it goes. And you talked really like right at the start about how in preseason it was 30 houses versus 30 houses in a really small or tight compact area where every like village was contested. There's been a number of changes since preseason. And I think if we can now talk about some of like the major features that would have just completely diverted how the game was played. Um, my experience, I started at the end of Season 3, so Keshigs were just running over everyone, Rattan Rangers were running over everyone. Um, and the first real units that I saw change the game were Falconetti, and how they came in and you went, okay, I now can't land Siege Towers consistently. Um, in Territory Wars particularly, and even um, Sieges, you saw those first people have them, it's like, wow, okay, um, what do I do? Now they're so staple in the game, it's just like, okay, you see them, you kill them or you dive them, or you change direction because they're too well protected. Um, what, are the, what are some of the key like changes that you've seen over the years? Um, if you can put a time, time or date on them, that'd be great. But it could be a brand new unit that changes the game, or a patch, or a way in which th- uh, things have been changed or introduced. Um, if if I can jump in on that, yeah. I think one of the biggest changes that ever impacted the game was the change of the experience for units and how fast you can yeah. level them. I think that is one of the yeah. biggest major changes. I mean, you look at, say, we're talking about pre-season here, you would play for six months and still not have a golden unit. Like, I mean, when I first started, I was unemployed at the time. I was playing literally all day, non-stop, for like three or four months. But you would still take up to six months to unlock a golden unit. And when those first people unlocked Reapers, they were just unstoppable. Nothing You could charge into a 50-man setup with one unit of Reapers and basically wipe it. They were that strong. But it, it, to some extent, I think it warranted that because it did take so much effort to unlock them. Not even unlock them, then every level was like 3 million XP, whatever it was, to unlock to level it up. Yeah, to get to every level Every single 30. level. Like, it was ridiculous. Whereas now, you play for a week or two weeks consistently, you'll probably have unlocked a Tier 5 from the F4 challenges. Oh. And so that, that was a very huge impact. For yeah. And also now you've got the XP tokens you can save up to level that instantly as soon as you unlock it as well. So that's a huge, huge thing that changed the game. Do you yeah, think that's a positive no, change? Yes and yes. no. I think that, personally, I think it's a positive change because it makes it easier for newer players to get into the game. There's a lot of other issues on that that we can talk about later. Um, but I think that the negative, I think, is that golden units don't feel as impactful as they were before. So you have a lot of time now. The meta, a lot of the time, is Tier 4s. You look at Dagger Axes, for example, how strong they have been for so many seasons now since they got that initial change. Stronger than their Tier 5 counterpart, the Cataphracts. Cataphracts are only better because they're tankier, but the Dagrax actually deal more damage than the Cataphracts. Um, so it's, it's, I just think that Tier 5s are less impactful. But that, I think, again, I think comes from booming, because they have the leadership uh, yeah. doctrines, they can run more of them. I think in part as well, they're, they're slightly running it. Tier 5 seems to be more angled towards specific niches, almost. So you sort of have the the, yeah. the, the tier fours are the more general around melee or more general around range, yeah. and then you focus into a specific area when you're going into tier five. And it does make them sometimes you can end up having pretty bad games with them because unless you hit that little that little bit thing they're good at, then they don't really perform all that well. Um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. 
I, I do think the XP change is overall a positive thing. It, it was pretty ridiculous. Um, I do remember someone actually left the game because of it. I can't remember what his full name was, Heavy something. And uh, he just spent like two months leveling up Hazars, I think it was, to level 30. And then like the day he got to 30, they announced that they're <laughs> changing the leveling requirements. And he just played Expedition 3s, like 500 Expedition 3s in a row trying to level this. Yeah. Stuff. Oh, yeah, because back then that was the best be. way of getting XP. So you would right, be doing exactly. Expedition 3s for hours and hours and hours. I remember working towards, I, I got Fire Lancers for my first golden unit. And they again, they nerfed them just before I got them. Because they were so strong, every golden unit back then was so powerful. Because yeah. it took you so long to level them up, and they were so overtuned compared to everything else. But it, it needed it. Because I, I remember just running around when, like, the whole server only had green units. You know, because that's how long it took to level things up and to unlock things in the tech tree. People would be yeah. playing green and blue units and sieges because that's all they had. Nobody had purples. Yeah, and I remember going to territory wars with like pike militia. Yeah, like, militia were broken. To be fair, they were broken for a very long <laughs> yeah. time. But I remember going around with like bow riders. Like I was one of the first people to unlock those, and just running around with those, just killing everything. Or like fire archers when they first came out, because nothing was fireproof, because no one had any purple or gold units, so everything <laughs> just burned, and it was just the most broken <laughs> thing at the time. But no one had any better, and it was so fun back then with that. I, I remember yeah. one of the first houses I joined was part of the Yogs Cast um, sponsorship campaign. And there were three Yogcast houses, and they had 300 people online for Territory War. The, the entire thing was full. This was on EU2. Um, and it was a case of you go in with your Pike Militia, and if you kill two monastics, you've done your job. <laughs> Get out of there. Someone else will take your place. And um, it was... A cra so different from now, where you can get PW ready within 200 levels, I'd say. You can get Imperial Pike it's, Guards. It's not, not even that. Like, yes, you need some guidance. You need someone to tell you to get these units. But if you if you have that guidance, you can get territory ready within a week of playing. <laughs> like, literally a week. Because you unlock so many tier... Four, there's so... Well, not even just the tier four units, but you get so much free stuff now when you play the game. But that one thing that's still holding everyone back is the seasonal units. Yeah. Which is an enormous grind. Yeah. Um, let's, let's talk about seasonal units then. Um... They were first introduced with the Namcans and Keshik season. How how did that kind of change the way you guys played it? Yeah, I mean, so I'm by this point I'm out of territory wars now by season two, I think. But um, I mean, perhaps just to to touch on the Keshiks, my uh, my favorite ever YouTube comment was um, someone talking about Keshiks because obviously they had quite a period of domination and they sort of seemed to crop in and out throughout the seasons then going on. But someone said Keshig's moved so fast, they didn't actually render in on his computer screen before he was dead. They could come around the corner, <laughs> run him over, kill him, and then it would render. <laughs> I just thought that was absolutely fantastic. <laughs> I, I had a, a famous clip from one of my first streams where Hussars did that to me. I could hear Cav coming. I turn around and was like, oh, there's nothing there. It's fine. I turn back away from them, and then I get run over by Hussars from that direction. I was like, what? The f you can literally watch in the playback as my face goes... What? Because what I looked there, there was nothing coming, and I look back, and then it runs me over and kills me. I was like, "What the hell?" <laughs> but that was one of my favorite things that we Keshigs, right? So this is a good argument on this at the moment. Is that they were so strong, yes, but it's it's very different playing them in territory towards to playing them in in sieges because in sieges, just no one took at counter cav because you had impikes at the time, you had even pike militia at the time would kill Keshigs, but no one played it because everyone wanted to play the uh, the fun units at the time, which was the Keshigs and the Namkins and, and other melee units like that. No one was playing anti-cav. So that's why they were so prolific for so long. 
I think we do, touching on that, we do see a lot more anti-cav played now, not necessarily enough, but I think with a wider variety, you know, with 40, which can also be fun anti-infantry as well, so they can fight decently. Yeah, I think 40s you know. was a very good thing for them to bring into the game because yeah. it was a, it was basically an upgraded pike militia, wasn't it? Because at the time, we only really had pike militia, halberds, and impikes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were a so bit much that, in season three. When they actually came out, they were a bit of a nightmare because it was about five of them yeah. camping on one corner. But um, yeah. they, they, yeah, absolutely perfect unit. Same, I think, Madawa. And because they're so units. cheap as well. With the yeah, 40s. exactly. Yeah, and they're a good workable unit. And they're fun to play. It was they very much replaced halberdier sergeants as a defensive pike, um, where before your IPGs were the aggressive, um, mm-hmm. advancing over formations and breaking into places. Forte's just like right, we're holding the line here, and you also see how the game has changed. Where F three was the go to formation when forties first came out because they just one shot anything that ran through them, but now F one is very much the go to formation because we've got the doctrines, we've got new play styles and people have learned and adapted um but, but i think it's like, also just going on to that point you're saying there before you go forwards it, it, it's part of where people learn to be more aggressive in the game you know with your hero especially because mm-hmm. looking back historically people were playing more in their units whereas that's why 40s were so weak in f3 now is because one basically any hero has one ability if not more that can just break that entire formation so that's why f1 is used so much now because it's just a spread formation that you cannot open up with just one hero Mm-hmm. So, in terms of unlocking units, do you, how long did it take you guys to unlock Keshik the first time? I was very active back then, so I got them quite quickly. Okay. Yeah, it must have taken me. It took t- took a long time. I, I can't remember how like, exactly how long it took in the back in the day, but yeah, I mean, there's certainly the the, the season um, challenges back then were longer. I, I can't remember exactly how many challenges there is on Keshi. It was like 10 separate stages or eight. Or something. I think it was 10 stages on Keshi. 10 stages, yeah. It's kind of crazy how long. And I think, did you only get them right at the end? Or did they have, a, I don't think they did doctrines in the seasonal challenges back then, did they, in season nope. two? I don't think so, no. no. So I think, you, yeah, it was very different to how it is now. You know, nowadays, relatively speaking, if you've got the existing units and you're doing the current season, it's not too bad to unlock it's just that when you come in as a new player there's 15 or 14 seasons essentially worth of units to unlock and yeah. it's, it's like where do you even start and most of the time the, the current meta units are seasonal units right yeah yeah so you, exactly. so you do need to unlock if you want to be competing at that level like yeah you can you can argue that yeah you can get imp pikes you know maybe even palace guards imp shields whatever that you can be useful in territory wars for your team but if you want to be good at the game or if you want to be competing at that top level you need the seasonal units yeah, and a lot of them as well, it's pretty pick and mix, isn't it? Because you might say, oh, you know, I want a Falconettis. But then, you know, that's the end of a season three. And then you might want an end of a season six. Or, you know, you're sort of picking and choosing. Shield Maidens, for example. Yeah. So what's that, season mm. seven? Yes. I think it so. It starts to all, <laughs> all merge into one blur, doesn't it? It's kind of hard to remember. It does. <laughs> it does. But, but this again, we're going to talk about this in in future podcasts as well because we're going to go more in depth on that. But it's like, what can we do to make it easier for that? Because you, you say coming into it, you look at it and you go, "Crap, I've got fourteen seasons of units that I need to unlock, and I can only unlock one season at a time." Hmm. How are you going to get in through that? Mm. But as veterans, I, realistically, we have every unit unlocked. So hmm. when the new stuff comes out, when we are faced with a new season, is it's not the worst grind for us. Um, no. and I, I think it's a good idea overall because it gives you a reason to play regularly because you have to do these challenges. And I think that's a lot of 
I think that's one of the good things I would say about the game is they are introducing a lot of things, whether it's challenges or whether it's quests or whether it's just game modes that you need to play quite a bit of. So it encourages you to play more of the game rather than think- just, you know, you log in 28 times, you get your rewards kind of thing in the month. Whereas now there's some challenges like for the most recent mode, the right act, which I personally really enjoyed. Um, it was like you had to unlock 20 chests or, you know, you had to free um, or get so many kills as the guard. So it was encouraging you to play more rather than just logging in, ticking a box and going off again, which I know a lot of people did do before that. And, and we see that a lot in other games. You know, you have to look at War Thunder, World of Tanks, these type of things where they, they use a similar sort of system, right, where you have campaigns and quests, you know, long-form quests where you have to fulfil certain objectives in battles, etc. So it's a known working thing. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't think it's too far of a leap to say that for all the problems seasonal challenges are probably what keeps the game going financially i I don't think realistically they're necessarily making tons of money off cosmetics and that has to be this is me because i spend way too much on cosmetics (laughs) because i i'm trying to put it in a nice way but i'm just going to say as this i'm a skin whore like i love collecting skins I, and I, even though I only ever play the same skin, I only ever use the Plague Doctor skin, I still unlock every single skin I can when it comes out. Um, <laughs> so, like the most recent one, that was it a Nibby tile, a tile, whatever it was that just came out. I spent oh, yeah. like 300 pounds trying to unlock oh, that, I think, in the end, because <laughs> I, I spent like 55,000 sovereigns or something trying to unlock it. It's ridiculous. But I've, I've got the money to spend on it, so why not? And I think that is one. Thing I don't want to be too fickle, but I feel like they do bring out seasonal units to overpower because it encourages people to pay for them because they are a strong unit. That's and definitely you, you why they it... don't nerf them, I think. Well, yeah, I think that 100%. I don't want to talk badly about them because it's a, it's a business model. At the end of the day, they need mm. to make money from it. Yep. And generally speaking, they're only strong for that season, then they do balance it towards the end of the season, then it normally becomes more in line then with the rest of it. Can I mean, you look at Shield Mains and, and Berserkers when they first came out? They did tune those down eventually. I think Berserkers were very strong for a long time, but they do tune them down. They do balance them out. You know, they've got to make some income somewhere, so I don't blame them for doing that. And then they and go back if... to past units. Let's say yeah, and... take the Keshigs, um, or even Chevaliers. They got slight buffs that then really tipped them over the edge, and they became the go-to yeah. as a unit. I mean, mm. you look at Palace Guards. They were irrelevant for a very long time, and then they gave them that one uh, patch, mm. you know, four or five seasons, and suddenly they were meta again. Mm. As a 230 cost or 235 cost unit from the unit tree yeah. but suddenly became meta again you even look at halberd sergeants at the moment they're not like overpowered but if you play them and if you play them properly you can do a lot of work like i would say the meta currently right now is the most balanced it's ever been you can play almost anything you want and still get decent still get decent scores with it yes there are still meta units that you will do very well with regardless like monks for example are very strong but they do have a counter there are other units you can play you can play almost any unit you want to and still be useful on it and still do a good job I think the the one of the problems I think with balance, since that's kind of the way we're going now, is um, balance means so many different things to so many different people. And yeah. I mean, it, I mean, initially, let's just let's just talk about the my games version, right? So because there's definitely balance differences between Frontier and my games. But if you just the my games, I feel like I sit kind of in this almost middle position as as kind of I would say I'm a veteran player, but I'm not necessarily, I'm still a casual-ish veteran player, right? So you see kind of both sides. So to take the monks, I agree. I think there's reasonable counters to them. They're a pain to deal with, and they are certainly a strong unit, but you can deal with them. But equally, you take then that to go to the other end on the more casual side. You take someone who, say, maybe plays an hour and a half at the weekend, works a full-time job, has got three kids, whatever. You know, they don't know that. 
they don't know how to counter them. They log into a battle and they run into eight of them. And their experience is just every unit they bring, whatever they try and counter, they just get a spinning thing in the face and they're all dead instantly. And, yeah. and so how do you balance that? Do you balance to the veteran players? Do you balance to the sort of lowest common denominator, which is the casual players? Yeah, and right. even on top balance. of that as well, do you balance for siege or do you balance territory war? Right, yeah. And then you have so many different aspects of tournaments. It's a completely different thing again because you have a different meta. Um, and, and even on that same yeah. same regard, you've got the mall, for example, um, that everyone cried for so long in all the discords about it, but the grab being broken, blah, 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 blah. And you look at like the, the top end of the game, so to speak, the top end of the competitive side of it, it wasn't an issue because people yeah. can play around it. There are counters mm-hmm. to it. There are easy ways to deal with it. And even now at the moment, you know, this past season, we had mall that got overtuned with the reworks. And I do think it was, it was too strong, but it had big counters. But that then affected the meta. But I think it's also more punishing here because my games, if we're talking my games booming, my games has always typically been a very heavy melee, very heavy shield playstyle. Mm-hmm. And booming has always been a very heavy spear, very heavy pike, hero kid in classes, and cav. And that's been their meta for a very long time. So that's why I th- part of it, things don't get changed as quickly. Because, you know, if my games are going to booming saying, look, all of our population saying Maul is too strong, booming go to theirs and go, well, no one plays Maul here. You know, we had cases here of like 10 Mauls in a game, so to speak, yeah. even more. And booming, you'll see maybe one Maul per game, maybe two. Because it's just not played because it just doesn't fit with the meta. So it's, it's also, you've got so many different things impact this meta. You've got, do you balance it for Siege? Do you balance it for Territory? Do you balance it for New or Veteran? Do you balance for Booming or Mike? You know, there's so many different aspects to it that it's so difficult for them to get it right on every form. There's also, yeah. do you balance for an individual or do you balance for group play? Because mm, one right. more you can deal with quite easily, but when there's three of them piling on top of you, much harder. it's, it's yeah. even harder. Um, and that's where it kind of we talk about skill ceiling with the units and when the latest tier five cav came out i remember looking at it going this has got a decent skill ceiling on it like you have to time your um, charge up you've got to bring them a decent distance get them into the unit and then press the buttons at the right time mm-hmm. and then they introduced a doctrine that just removed the kind of need to be careful you then just pass through every unit you want to and wipe everything um it removed that skill ceiling or lowered it significantly that it became so easy to play and easy to be effective. And that's where Maul is very easy to be effective. It's got its counters, but it's easy to be effective in a team play environment with it. Yeah, I remember yeah. saying that myself at the start when I saw the cab as well. It was like, because obviously we, we had access to the PTR being content creator. So I was like, look, this, this is a, a good unit, but it requires skill, it requires timing. Mm-hmm. You have to hit that one at the right moment. You can beat 40s yeah. with them, you can beat anti cab for them if you hit that one at the right moment. And then, like you said, they brought a doctrine that means that they're, you know, just ignore all that anyway, and now anyone can play it. Which, again, fits their model if they want everyone to play it, but then at the same time, are they going to remove that doctrine at the end of the season? Well, they can't now, because the doctrine's out. So that doctrine's there yeah. forever now, right? So that's, how are that's... they going to rebalance that? And there's also a cost to doing sort of overpowered seasonal units in terms of players leaving the game, right? There's, mm-hmm. there's a bit of a balance there. I mean, the one that stands out for me is Axe Raiders, whatever that was, eight or nine? I can't remember which season that was. Um, and, you know, they just absolutely dominated at the time. And there were counters again, but 90% of the player base struggled to effectively use yeah. those counters. So most people's experience was just being slaughtered by this one unit that could phase through shields and do everything. And then it got to the other side and just slaughtered everything. So people really struggled to deal with that. And, you know, a lot of players left because it took two months to have any sort of balance change because they didn't want to balance a, what is essentially a paid for unit. So yeah, it's similar with know. Fire Lancers when they did the upgrade as well, when they changed the layout yeah. range. They were. Yeah. 
so broken when they came out. Just dominating yeah. everything. Territory Wars, Sieges, everything, they were dominating. Yeah. And they didn't fix it for a while. No, and how many players do you lose in that time? You know, mm. If you lose 20% of your player base, well, then next season you've either got to market and spend to get that back, or you've got a 20% smaller pool of players who are going to be spending any money on the game. And you sort of, you know, I, I think it's safe to say that the game isn't exactly growing. And I don't think this necessarily helps. You know, we're getting to the point now where the player population is small enough that we really need to be keeping what we've got as we try mm. to work on building in new players. Yeah. I do think part of that is down to the player base itself, though, as well. So there aren't really... I know you were speaking at the start, you had your house that was there to train up new players. There aren't really any houses at the moment on E1 that I can think of that are run by veterans with a good game knowledge that will take in new players and train them up. Like, it's just not a thing in this game. No, I probably would agree with that, yeah. yeah. But is that because there's not the player base for that anymore? Or is it just because no one wants to do it? Like, no one wants to lead a house like yeah. that? Um, it's hard. It's something that it's something I've wanted to do for a while, but yeah, it, it's difficult with where the where the player base is at the moment. It's like you see players either they join this random house that the guy who's leading it is also new, and they just sort of figure things out themselves, or they join one of the so-called Borderlands houses, um, and they're in their own little world, thinking they're the best. But then you know one of the main region houses comes over, and they can't do anything. You know, but they they themselves will think that they're this incredible house. We hold all this land. You know, we're doing really well. But realistically, on the grand scheme of things, they are not that strong. It's just a fly on a windscreen, isn't it? It's just yeah. And it, but it's yeah. like, do we hold the players accountable for that? Well, no one's helping them to level up. No one's helping them to improve. Or mm-hmm. do we hold the game responsible for that because there isn't the player base there to have all, as much new blood coming in that will increase the skill base overall? There's but a number of things that got discussed there about keeping keeping players uh, as opposed to losing them. Um, what do we think are the key factors that keep people playing this game? The main thing I think is it is such a unique game. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. there isn't really another game out there that is the same as that anywhere, anywhere close to this. And that's why I've been playing for some because it is such a unique and fun game when it works. If that makes sense, like when it's mm. when it's doing it, what it wants to do, it is such a fun game to play. But then when you have all these overtuned units, when you have you know what seems a lot of people have the reaction of, well, my games don't listen to us. Reality, they do. They do take a lot of feedback. But like we've already discussed, their hands are tied a lot of it because it's, they're not the developers, you know? No. Hmm. And even if they were the developers, if you're getting three different bits of feedback, which are all in, you know, someone saying balls overpowered, someone saying it's absolutely not clear, people just need to learn to play, and someone else is saying, I like Spear, then, you know, what do you do to that? You get almost diametrically opposed feedback. And you've got two versions. That was um, something I just thought of to, to, to not to endlessly circle back on this so we never get anywhere. but. To go back to one of the big changes, one of the sort of more subtle big changes over the past sort of year or two has been the alignment of patches and unit names between Frontier and the MyGames version. We never used to get patches didn't used to come out at the same time. There used to be like a weak lag between. So you, everyone's yeah. trying to log into the Frontier patch notes to see what's probably going to be coming. And then they weren't yeah. necessarily always identical. And then all the units had different names. So it's like, who are these, you know, Yangdu shields? What are they actually in our version? You're trying to translate. Mm. So the alignment of those two policies, so we get patches at, you know, roughly speaking, the same time, seasons are released at roughly speaking the same time, and the units are called the same, is a really kind of back-end thing that most people probably don't see, but actually it makes a real big difference to the alignment of the two versions. 
Yeah, I think they didn't they do an interview recently with one of the localization guys for my games that actually did all that stuff mm-hmm. and and was doing all that translating and everything and making sure it fit to the my games version, mm-hmm. uh, which is an interesting read. Um, I mean, it's just you know feedback in general. So they used to actually there's a section in the official Discord for house leads. There's almost no one in there that's active. I think there's like one EU two guy that posts in there occasionally now. I, I'm in there, but there's just nothing happens there anymore. They used to do at the end of every season, they would do a session with all the house leads and would go through feedback of what how would the season go, you know, things would change, all that kind of stuff. That hasn't happened for like three or four seasons now, hmm. if not longer. I mean, admittedly, it was Bluntcast that led it all. So now he's moved, maybe that's why. But that was a good session for me because we'd sit in there for half an hour to an hour and just have a frank, just upfront discussion with the CM, direct, face-to-face. And, and that... Well, maybe not necessarily everything would be changed from that. It at least showed that they were giving you your time. Because mm-hmm. I think a lot of people do feel that, like on the Discord, for example, they'll say stuff in there, but is it being listened to? And I think that for a very long time was the opinion of the main population was that my games aren't listening. Because, you know, there was a lot of issues for a long time. back. We're talking like sort of season five to ten now, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the general feel from the population of the game was, well, no one's listening. And I think it has gotten better now because we have a lot more interactions with the CMs. You know, they, they do all those streams now and all that kind yeah. of stuff, which does show more interaction from them, which I think was a really good thing to do from them. They just have, like, even if it's just Katie just playing for a couple of games, you know, once or twice a week, that still shows, it shows their, their presence. It shows that they're listening. And I think that's really useful. I think it's um, a real big frustration I've, I've always had. And it's not a, 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 and like, I don't want this turn into a criticism of my games because they do a lot well. But one thing that I've always found very frustrating, well, for the, the whole sort of three or four years now I've been here, is this um, sort of idea sometimes that when things go wrong or something's not quite right, let's sort of cover it up, pretend it's not happening. Let's not talk about it. An example would be the Senju Grenadiers when they didn't come out in season, I think they were supposed to come out in season eight, they were going to be on the PTR, and then they weren't ready in time. So they just, you're not allowed to talk about it can't pretend they exist, you know, we have to pretend they never were there. And it would be a bit of a, sometimes, a slightly more frank and honest sort of saying, it's gone wrong, it's causing a bug, it causes the game to crash, they're unbalanced, we've not finished the model in time, whatever it means. And sometimes it's better just to talk about things and say, we've got this problem, we're not quite sure how to deal with this, we're thinking about changing this, what's your thought? A little bit more interaction goes a long way to... Yeah, and I think people will respect that openness. Yeah, exactly. And that honesty. You know. I think but again, like we said, it is, it is difficult because they don't have control over most of that, do they? Because it's obviously they, they don't. No, no, there has to be a. Uh, but they still have control over sometimes what information they release. Mm, yeah. Um, but yeah, just my two cents on it. So, what, what do you think then is a big part of what keeps players playing? Because obviously, I went, I went off on a bit of a tangent there, but yeah, no, it's an interesting one. I think I probably have a different experience to that to most people because I don't actually do any territory war stuff anymore. I haven't for for quite a long time. I don't do any, any particular reason for that or just, just time really. I mean doing the doing the videos is pretty time consuming. Yeah. Um and you know I still work full time. People sometimes people seem to think I do this as an actual job. I, I don't. <laughs> you know um so yeah really just the videos take up the bulk of the time. But I don't really do tournaments other than a bit of commentary at some of the CBL stuff. So I get to that's my way of getting involved. So for me it's siege battles that that is kind of the staple game mode. I might dabble a little bit in the odd death match or free battles or, you know, what, but not really. You know, not very much for me. That core game mode is still Siege, but I'm not sure that's necessarily true for the bulk of 
the veteran players or people who've been playing a long time, I think people tend to probably more move to more territory war and tournaments. That could be the aspect of the game. So, I mean, we've got things like CB Rivals, for example, I think was a very good thing for the mm-hmm. game. Yeah. Um, obviously, Burdekin had the original idea, then CB took over it. We will be having an episode later on in the, in the series that talks about tournaments in more detail, but I think that was very good for the game because it drew a lot of attention and drew a lot of just getting more people from these smaller houses and houses people didn't weren't aware of to make these teams and compete at a top level against what people yeah. considered some of the top teams at the time. Um, so I think that was really good for the game. It increased a lot of uh, interest and, and keeping people playing more because you know, you've got to have you've got to practice, you've got to have scrims, you've got to be playing with that as well so that does increase that that sort of player game time as well yeah no i'd completely agree it's um you know how much do to sort of move on similar sort of topic then you sort of think talk about things introducing new maps and stuff into the siege rotation i wonder how much they get played really by veteran players you know particular, and then new game modes yeah. that they put in i mean i think how much, you know time and effort goes into development over how much do they get played I think it depends. I think from my experience, I think veterans mostly play um, ranked. I think that's one of the biggest things that brings mm-hmm. them back in. Yeah. I, I don't see... Th- there are obviously still quite a few veterans that do play a lot of sieges and that do play actively during the season, but I would say a large proportion of them come online mainly for territory wars and for ranked and those like special event game modes and stuff, which I think is good to a certain extent. It does keep them playing. Mm-hmm. It does feel sometimes like the siege map rotation, going to your point there as well, isn't what the players want, if that makes sense. Like a lot of the time the maps that get brought in are maps that weren't played by players or were hated by players for a reason. And it's like, oh, we're going to bring this map back. And everyone's like, oh God, why? Yeah. One thing I would say though is good though is they bring out their survey every now and then that says what maps do you want to see in ranked mainly, but also they have done it in the past for sieges as well. I think that is a good thing because they're getting that input from the from the player base, which I think is, again, is another good thing they've done, which is showing that they listen more as they are having these surveys, you know, for the even for the ranked reward skins as well. Mm-hmm. On the subject of those surveys, I think on one of the latest ones for what ranked maps would people like to see, only one map had over 50% positive response. So <laughs> the population is very split over what they like and what they don't like. And yeah. I, I think that really leads into another part of like how people want to play the game. Um, do you have the ability to just drop in, play a random loadout and do well? I, we think you do. And I think if we look at some of your videos, Evo, you've retouched upon units that are three or four seasons old. You've brought them in and said, how do they work? Um, I don't know if you do it in one battle or two or three. Um, it, it might take Fair. you a couple of while to get... <laughs> play, play 100 games for that one game. Yeah. <laughs> it, might, it might take a while to get those clips. But even if it takes a while, it shows that on occasions, when you've set it up correctly, any unit is viable. Yeah, and... I, I touched on it earlier as well. You know, the meta is... At- one of its most balanced states for me at the moment. Yes, you have those strong meta units, like we said, but you can pick out almost any unit and still do decently with it if you play it well and if you know how to play it. I remember watching Ninefingers yeah. play Iron Cap Shield um, Swordsman and just watching as he got six kills in a game because people just ran at him with them. And he was there like, right, another one, six second charge, kill, six second charge, kill. And insanely short cooldown, don't they? Yeah, and, charge. Yeah. and players just weren't, weren't expecting it. And he used mm-hmm. what was, I'd consider an extremely off meta pick mm-hmm. in a way that was effective against gold units as well. Um, mm-hmm. So this shows the capability. And if we think about an ideal balancing world of rock, paper, scissors, it's obviously a lot more complicated than that for Conqueror's Blade. But everything does have a natural counter. It's just, are you willing to play it? 
is it fun to play? Is it rewarding to play? Yeah. That again, is that, where the that, question is. You touched on it earlier as well with the whole Keshik argument, right? Is that they could get countered by imp pikes, by pike militia, but those at the time weren't fun to play, as you put it, and so no one was playing them. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And there's so that, that makes it so hard to balance, doesn't it, though? Because do you... Hmm. you it, it, so do you therefore nerf the Kessig or do you say that it's the player's fault? It's, it's, it's a really hard one to balance because in many ways for veterans, they perhaps were balanced because you can counter them relatively easily or, uh, you know, a lot of it also comes down to map awareness and situational awareness. It's a lot easier to avoid once you're sort of used to that and you're, you know, I still kind of tunnel vision quite easily. So I end up losing map awareness and getting run over by something. But, mm. you know, once you get good, once you get sort of better players, they can be, be in a fight and aware of what's coming behind. But it just makes it so hard to balance because a lot of players can't do that and therefore have a really miserable experience getting you know slaughtered every time. So you sort of yeah run into a bit of a problem. I mean, that. that's always been my argument with Maul. You know, I've, I, you may have seen on the content creators Discord. I don't know if you watch it very often, but I've had these arguments with other content creators. I've said, look, Maul is so strong at the moment, for example, because it is very easy to play and it's easy mm-hmm. to punish players in sieges that aren't paying attention. Right. But if you're paying attention, it's also very easy to counter Maul. It's just a class yeah. that's very easy to pick people off, and because it works so hard, heavy into our meta of mass shields. So, oh, but more could just jump in and spin. So, yeah, but if you're letting a mall run all the way up to a unit, jump in and spin, then you've messed up. Yeah, because yeah, you're allowing so him that space. It's interesting, isn't it? I've um, recently switched. Um, traditionally, I'm a Polax player predominantly, and I, I don't really change class loads because hard enough trying to get footage on terrible units like Seregs and things. So I try and stay on one hero class, but recently switched to the Glaive, um, which I think. On Frontier has is 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 really sort of an A tier, top tier weapon class at the moment. But I think on my games, I would say probably isn't really considered along the probably world. One of the least base. played like weapons. Yeah. I would say. So and my initial experience was pretty poor. You know, I got that. I thought, oh yeah, it is pretty mediocre. You know, it's not not particularly good. Getting killed by malls every match. Playing medium armor, struggling a little bit with that. And then sort of have been doing over the past couple of weeks a lot more research into it looking at different play styles, staying mounted, staying on your horse, getting the stun with the dismount, straight into Warlord's Greeting, straight into Flying Reaper, Shield Bash. And actually, you could pretty much one combo them all in just one set of mm. one set of chains, and they can't escape from that at all. And that's suddenly really interesting. So it is interesting how knowledge and skill, probably not skill, but knowledge, a bit of knowledge goes a long way to really changing what is or isn't meta. And it's amazing how... You know, you don't need to know that much, and suddenly something that's terrible can actually become really quite great. Yeah, and I think that ties into what we've said as well, is that, you know, a lot of this knowledge isn't being shared because these, you know, new players aren't paired up with veterans. They don't have that communication with them to learn mm-hmm. a lot of this knowledge. Yeah. If we look at some of the tournament teams, um, Sexy Kebab was a regular MVP in CBL, CBR, Glaive player. Luke Strell for Odin's regular like had the most mvps in season one or something for um cbr again glaive player like they Mm. are extremely effective when used in different circumstances to Mm. how a regular player may play them they seem relatively specialized but also they they're definitely playable and that's where i think it's really it's really difficult to then give that balance and one of the things that if we look on kind of trends over the last couple of seasons the introduction of runes and how they can completely change playstyle. the if we think of glaive the combat dismount mm-hmm. then giving you cc immunity for six seconds or giving you yeah. heat of god of battle 
same as when they gave the Polak CC immunity as well. That became yeah. super strong for that season because it meant you could play the other ultimate rather than the choke one. You could play the knockdown. I can't remember what it's called now. Um, but yeah, everyone was playing that, and they were a lot of them were playing like full strength with it as well because you couldn't yeah. get stunned out of it. it. Suddenly became extremely strong. Yeah, um, I think self, runes are something heal. that. Is... Oh yeah, the heal as well. Heal, that was fun. <laughs> but you could you could play against it, but it yeah. wasn't how people wanted to or were willing to play the game. Like the chokehold. Yeah just instantly stop CC immunity. And you've got, now, you've got with the Chain and Scimitar, that didn't exist when that Polex um, rune was around. Yeah. Um, the uh, Rough Justice from Polex um, could have been used, or even Dual Blades um, with their choke ultimate. You, yeah. you had ways to do it, but they were, people weren't willing to adapt. And people were like, oh, I'd rather play the CC immunity myself which is what we see with Maul at the moment. So I'd rather right. play with... Which is why there's so many of them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah um, and because, again, it's so easy to play. It's so easy to pick up with Maul. It's, it's not the most punishing class to play if you, no. you play a decent level. But at the same time, I think that's also what you see now with the meta changing and how Dual Blade has now become so prevalent as well because people suddenly went, well, if Maul has a CC immunity, what can I play that will counter it? We saw a lot more Polaxes coming out because they could choke it and lock it out there. But I did see more Scimitars coming out as well because of the choke. Not so much because obviously Maul can still basically one-shot them, but one of the things we started seeing was more and more dual blades. Like the start of this season, you didn't see many dual blades around. No. But then towards the end, now you see a lot, and then some, suddenly people realize actually the Shuriken throw is really broken, and you can kill hundreds of units without even using your own. You know, we had a guy in our house that, through a point, only played dual blade, didn't take any units, he just took Martellatori each game, and was still regularly getting like 510 hero kills, 150 unit kills without any units. Yeah, yeah. And again, yeah, that wasn't you weren't seeing that at the start of the season because people didn't twig onto the fact that dual blade was going to be really strong because everyone would just go, "Oh, we're all strong, so I'll play that." But then people um, started feeling out all these counters to it. It's it's kind of interesting for on a on a for, for me, I find the um, something that I struggle with, and perhaps you could maybe you can comment on this is so I don't I try not to, for example, title videos like how to how to play this, how to play the glaive, how to play the poleaxe. Because I don't think I'm, 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 even though I'm a veteran player, I'm not necessarily a particularly good player. So I'm not particularly skilled in certain areas. And this kind of goes back to what you were talking about earlier, Temple, about how do you get more information to these sort of newer players? Because inevitably, I'm sure there must be some who end up watching my videos. But then there's an element of I'm more just trying to chart my own journey through Conqueror's Blade and just sort of mm. more for fun, which is why I try not to generally try not to target things too how to. But, it's also difficult doing yeah. how-tos because the game evolves and changes every season. Because right. I, I started when I first started streaming, I made a Discord and I was doing like unit veterancy lines, yeah. um, how to, like hero guys, how to play. The next season, they're already out of date. There's no point in even right. having them anymore. Because it's it so much work. So because, yeah, every season is completely different because of mainly because of runes. That's such a huge thing that they brought in. Runes do make a big part. Yeah, they can do. literally do anything with the game with that because they can. Oh, well, this season we're just going to make this ability do this instead. You know, like yeah. give extra range on this, give an extra cooldown on this, which completely changes the meta. Which I think is healthy for the game. I think it's really good, but it also makes it hard for new players, like you said, to keep going with that. And also for veterans, you know, if you're still playing the game, but you don't, you're not the best at you know seeing all these changes. You don't know what you're doing with it. Maybe you're not in a house, but you are. You're not in like a competitive house, but you're a veteran that's played for a long time. Like for example, like we said about the, the sort of the houses playing in the side regions, they might not realise the potential of some of these changes. So they'll still be playing the old meta, they'll still be playing the old stuff because they don't have the knowledge that they don't have the the contacts with these sort of innovative yeah. players that are figuring all this stuff out as it comes out. I mean, that is definitely sometimes me. I mean, I think I sometimes I am sometimes that person. You know, I certain sometimes will play a unit some way, 
I think I have this odd ability to sometimes get things to work wrongly. <laughs> sort of, and then, and then you know, you'll post the video and someone say, what the hell are you doing? Why on earth are you playing like that? Didn't you know that if you put this Beltrine on and change to that veterancy line, they can, you know, hit three times as many yeah, units? Then, like, oh, wow, it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But if it works, it works, you know. And, and that's what, what we said many times, that this meta at the moment, you can play a lot of things in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah, you can. You don't have to just be sort of a meta warrior. You can... Like you say, you can use other units, and there's quite a few. Yeah, which I feel more so this season. I think historically, if you weren't playing it the meta way, you would just lose. Whereas mm-hmm. more so now, the more the season going on, I think the game is getting to a more balanced state. But I, I, I like the ever-changing meta that the game has, because a lot of people say, oh, well, it's not balanced. But what do they want? Do they want every single thing to be balanced perfectly, so you have to just play the same thing every time? Because everything's mm-hmm. perfectly, but like you know, how how is it? How, what is balanced to them? Look at any competitive game; the meta changes every time because they go, "Oh, well, this is a bit strong, so we'll tweak that." This brings this forwards. Okay, well now we'll tweak this. But it's ever-changing meta that keeps the game constantly going, constantly evolving, and constantly fresh and new. It's not just the same thing over and over and over again. But then, is it the time frame? Is it is it the speed of balance changes that perhaps more the problem? Uh, I sometimes mm. feel like I would rather have regular experimental balance changes where they go oh let's change this let's change that oh god that was a terrible idea let's change that back not let's change this right let's let's wait here for two months while everyone's yeah. i think the speed oh, of changes we'll change is one of the biggest it. issues for players for veterans yeah. especially because it's like oh well we've realized on week one this is stupidly broken right now what were you yeah. going to do about it oh we're going to wait to the end of the season to change it yeah and that's frustrating but it is also difficult as well because they have the aspect of having the now with the tier locks with the blue, then purple, and gold because that massively changes the meta as well. It does, yeah. Because something might be strong in blue tier, but then once you get to to uh, tier four or tier five, then all of a sudden it's not broken. Something else is really strong instead because of the different change of different units and all that kind of stuff. And that's what I think with Maul as well. Maul was very strong in tier four meta because tier four meta is mainly shields and yeah. very heavy melee stuff. You know, obviously there were dagger axes, but there's not really. You don't see any of the cav really around. You don't see a lot of range. It's just a lot of melee and shields. And so then, because people didn't have the monks unlocked necessarily then straight away, but then when it goes to tier five, a lot more cav comes out. Maul is very weak into cav. So then you saw Maul dropping off. It still has played a lot, obviously, because like we said, it's a very easy class to play. Mm. But it has, I feel like it's dropped off a lot more now because there's so much cav there, because there's the range of the Falcos and things like that that are very easy to knock Maul down. And once Maul is on the floor, it's very easy to kill it. Uh-huh. I think you're also there's sometimes a distinct difference between overpowered in a sort of technical sense, something is too strong and unfun mechanics. Mm. So yeah. I think for me, Maul's traditional, which isn't a problem anymore, but traditionally the grab, which is what a lot of people complained about. I, I don't think it was necessarily overpowered, but it was just a bit crap to play against. And I think there's a difference there between overpowered and just unfun mechanics. And they're not necessarily the same thing. Yeah. No, I can agree with that. I think that's a really nice summary, actually. Um, we talked about runes. They they define the meta at times. We talk about the Polax one. Are there any other examples when, of the runes since they were released, you went, oh, that was a particularly fun one? The one that comes to mind that really changed was the musket one, where every time you throw a bomb, it reduces the cooldown of all other bombs. Yay, and bomb musket. <laughs> bomb musket. You just... <laughs> It became impossible to move because there's five caltrops all around you yeah, and your units you would just not see, going anywhere. Yeah, Cav just standing still mid-charge or basically standing still because of the amount of caltrops that are thrown down. Were there any other examples that you guys can think of for that? 
so yeah, so for me, I'm a longsword main. So having all the extra healing things they brought in, you know, just the, the passive heal they brought in for it, healing on resupplies, you know, taking less damage on on um, objective points as well, just meant that a longsword was a bit weak until that point. It wasn't the most meta thing. It was just basically a a support bot. You'd you take heal, you take move speed, and then you do that. They changed it obviously to combine them both, which is a really good change. But being able to have these extra defenses on points meant you could actually contest a lot more with longsword. You could, you know, go onto a capture point or you'd be defending a capture point. You wouldn't die as quickly because you had the extra healing. You had the reduced damage taken on on the objective points. You had a lot of other um, bonuses like that, which made it a lot more fun to play. And I think that's why I like the runes to a certain extent. There are the cases like, like you said, bomb musket was awful for a player like me who didn't play range. But for musket's time, it was great. But I think it's really an, it's an easy way for them to change the meta without having to completely change a whole class. Mm-hmm. You know, they can just go, oh, well, for this season, we've got this rune because it, it will tweak this class a bit for this season. We'll see how it goes. Then maybe they'll add it into it like they did with Maul, which I think was a bad decision in the end, which where they had the one season where Maelstrom couldn't be um, blocked when it was in its spin. They had that CC immunity. And then a couple of seasons later, that is now part of the kit. Now they changed it. Maelstrom tier four cannot is, is now CC immune. That was originally a rune to start with. Um, so I think things like that is good for them because they can test out some changes that they maybe want to do to tweak a class without actually having to change the whole class. They can just go, oh, we'll, we'll just try this and see how it works. And if it goes well, let's add it. If it's not good, we can just take that rune out for the next season. Hmm. I yeah, think that I really think. nicely sums up kind of the veteran experience about what we find when we play the game as we're used to things and we don't have to learn 15 seasons worth of units. We just learn one new one building upon the knowledge we have already. So there's a number of events lately that have been aimed at veteran players. So we've seen the introduction of new doctrines. And I remember there were a number of players that had piles and piles of doctrines stacked up in their inventories. And they then were able to just splurge all of them and clear up their inventory there. We recently had and the Vault Keeper. And then they brought out the alchemy. And then they <laughs> brought out the alchemy, yeah. Um, and we recently had the Vault Key one. Um, yeah, do we, like do we well. think that there is a shift now towards catering towards players that have been playing a really long time and rewarding those players? I would say with a Volky one, yes. Yes. I new players would struggle with that. But veterans yeah. like m- me, myself, I had, I still got a stack of them, but I had like 300 Volkies that were just stacked Same. up. Yeah, yeah. That was nice. That was, yeah, because like, oh, not only clear inventory space, but I'm going to get rewarded for it. You know, it's yeah. like, that was really nice. I think Doctrines is, I think the problem with Doctrines is, or the Doctrine Alchemy, perhaps specifically, we should say now, um, is that it's definitely opening the gap between a new player and a veteran player. And so you're adding uh, a, a skill gap, which is now existing between someone who's been playing a long time and someone who hasn't. Less players in the game, so matchmaking is now two players versus veteran players. And then you're giving veteran players extra to statistical boosts to make their units even stronger now on top of all the rest. Mm. And so it is perhaps starting to... I don't think it's necessarily helped the new player experience, should we say. Mm-hmm. Um, Particularly yeah, when I, it I is would... complicated. I would say on the other side of that, I think that the new crafting system has benefited the new player because you have these yes. veterans. I mean, to an extent, to an extent, yeah. there is a character as well. But you have these veterans that spent, in some cases, years getting the best gear they could, crafting it or buying it. But now that gear is worthless, basically, because you, if you don't have the new reforged gear, your old gear is non-comparable to someone that has it. Because you could have a. I, I had some some of the best uh, guardsman boots in the game. 25 leadership, almost perfect stats on them, but a purple on the reforge system had better stats. Right, yeah. And so you have to then reforge all this gear, and a lot of veterans have complained about that because they spent 
in some case, like I said, years getting this amazing gear to now basically be useless. I agree. And yes, I mean, you can still nice play. They, them, they had the lock. That was kind the, of the, the locking one thing was good, is, you know. but it was just oh well, I have to lock my leadership on my leadership gear, then, and then I yeah, everything did. else. Yeah. Um, so I like using that example. I went from my guardsman. I went down to a, a, a purple set of boots because it just had like fifteen hundred health on it and a couple of defenses, but it was nowhere near to the stats I had in it before. They were almost max in every in every yeah. category. Yeah, it's hard, but then I agree. Yeah, it does make a big difference. That but you can't necessarily get stuck into a into a, a system that you can never change mm. because that's that's. Oh, I, I think change is good, but it does also have the other impact as well. I think that's why also more was so strong because it was a lot easier to craft decent heavy armor gear than it is light. Firstly, they're the same resource cost, which I, th- I do think light armor should be cheaper. Um, but the heavy armor, you can just get a, a bad heavy armor will still have like an extra two thousand health on it. Mm-hmm. So it just becomes so much stronger with all those stats. Whereas the light armor, you have to get very good crafts on it to be good, if that makes sense. And you're, you're a lot more dependent on your weapon. Whereas the heavy armor, as long as you've got good armor, your weapon doesn't matter as much. Slightly frustrating sometimes how some weapons will have just a couple of, I would say, just have piercing damage. And it's quite easy, therefore, to craft quite a good quality one. Other than Polaxe, you know, for example, and other classes, you've got piercing, slashing, and blunt. And so you end up with wrong stats quite easily you end up having to you know you have to, mm. you have to do 10 times as many crafts to get a good one as you do one and it's got even harder now with the introduction of toughness yeah. and armor on top of yeah. strength and agility that were already there yeah, yeah, yeah. um yeah. are there any changes that we think would actually be helpful for that so would the ability to lock a second stat be useful or would the redu- reduction in cost of say um, reforging stones it's a hard one because there's no whatever you change, whichever direction you go with it, it's pros and cons. There's no yeah. there's no definitive right or wrong. A second lock would be nice. Definitely for veteran players, it's helpful because, as Temple says, you know you've already got the good stats, the good statistics that you can carry over. So you're carrying more stuff over allows you to more min max your gear because you've got the resources. You know, for example, I can buy. I've got three million silver or whatever it is. I can buy purple schematics for some. market. <laughs> well, I don't play territory well, so I <laughs> never buy artillery. <laughs> um, you know, I can I can throw money at it. Well, a new player can never do that. Um, so by locking a second statistic, I can continuously work on getting a bit of glaive, for example, which is what I'm playing at the moment. Would a proposition be, if you lock one stat, it costs 20 artificer stones, but if you lock two, it costs 35? And you then yeah, increase that's... the cost, yeah. and you basically make it like, oh, I'm saving up for this because I really want mm-hmm. it to go well yeah, i think that could be a really like nice that. result like yeah. it, where you reduce your risk you increase your cost I, th- yeah. I feel like that's a really nice way to scale a lot of this and we see that with um some of the doctrine system where people have thrown every doctrine they have into one particular of the x nodes when you look on the uh, war scholars screen mm-hmm. and they've yet to get the specific doctrine they want mm-hmm. and they, they've thrown 200 uh, treaties into these if not a thousand in some yeah cases. i mean it's a running joke in origin at the moment that every time you get a, a tier five doctrine it's going to be a buckler infantry one yeah or it's going to be much a they less damage in the open world like that because that's what people seem to be getting from it most hmm. i think it's one um, of our guys has got um i think 12 health doctrines in a row um which just you can't put on the same thing twice the um i, I feel like in, in many ways though the war scholar is not, not redundant because you still obviously need it to get your base doctrines, but compared to doctrine alchemy, I mean the the the, the disparate the level of difference between it is mm. is so severe in my opinion. Particularly things like 
some very this is why i think then you get veteran players it's very nice for me for video creation because say i have things like i've even got doctrines that you can't you, no one can get now like i got a damaged doctrine it's like 100 buff to slashing uh piercing and blunt plus health bonus with it you know i move that basically between every unit because it's better than any base doctrine it covers everything and you're getting yeah, a health bonus I mean, yeah. i've still got yeah. two um temporary tier five doctrines i've never used they're just sat in my Doctrine side because if as soon as I use them they're gone. But they just yeah. sat there. And someone I remember screen sharing once. Someone go, "You've got tier five doctrines. What is that?" I was like, "Because they were the golden doctrines at the time bef yeah. uh, before we had these new ones." And I was like, yeah. "Uh, yeah, I've just had those since the start of the game, basically. Yeah, just relics." But I mean, it does. It makes such a big difference. And then you know, rather than just a breakthrough doctrine, you know, I've got a purple tier five version of it, and it's a mm -hmm. boosted breakthrough. Plus, it mm -hmm. provides you know one hundred and ten extra slashing damage on whatever you put on it or whatever you know the, the yeah. extra boost and it's such a big difference between a base bake breakthrough and adding something like that particularly when you put it on so obviously it has a bigger percentage impact on certain units than others but some stuff it can have a huge impact on and uh, that sort of level of disparity can make big differences to how a unit performs so would we recommend any changes to that kind of system well how do you change it now to some extent pandora's box is yeah. open a little bit you know would, would you have it so that if you put in five infantry doctrines you're guaranteed an infantry one there or would yeah, you some, some kind of format like that could yeah. be an interesting way of doing it where the outcome is dependent on what you put into it yeah or even going down the locking screen maybe you have to put in more doctrines but you can lock it to a certain type so let's say instead of eight purples maybe you've got to put in 16 but you could lock it into an infantry doctrine and or you could lock it into a certain type of doctrine like that and that costs you your true wisdom by doing or, that, you yeah, give yourself your thing, opportunity yeah. to do that. Yeah, I think I, there are there are mechanics in the game that exist, but can we like bring them together to hopefully I, make this a better know, experience? I don't know how much because obviously I've completed it now. Whether they've introduced any of them, you know, as the base green, blue, purple, um, whatever they're called, the the base doctrines that you put into the alchemy mixer. Whether they've introduced them to things like F four quests now or not? Because they tend to give the wisdoms out, I think. Yeah, um, but I mean, I've unless you've got the unless you've got the purple base. You know, purple doctrines to put in to craft them and put in. Wisdom is pretty pointless. Mm -hmm. um, so I would certainly be making them more readily available to new players because, I mean, you know, obviously I've had I had hundreds, if not a thousand, of doctrines to craft, and still only you've got a handful of really good doctrines that I really like. You know, at top mm -hmm. tier. So you know, making it so that you're getting a hundred greens or two, you know, a hundred blues as a sort of a, not not just given to you but as part of the tutorial quest certainly i don't think would be excessive and yeah at least no, start people down that right path I, I do think one good thing they've done alongside it though is they have these weekends where it's free to remove your doctrines they've had them yes. a couple of times now i think that's very helpful especially yeah. for the newer players i mean it's good for the veterans as well because you can tweak stuff that you want to but mm -hmm. especially for the newer players you can think oh well i i've learned now that actually maxing this particular unit was a bad choice i've now got this unit instead but now i can move these doctrines over for free yeah, you know, because otherwise, lotus water was a problem for a lot of people. People didn't have the amount to be able to change it. Yeah, and the cost of it is quite high to start throwing. You know, when you start wanting to remove an epic doctrine at five yeah. lotus water, especially when I mean, you can speak for yourself, but from from my experience, new players will always go range first because that's yes. the exciting thing they see in the tree. And then you, then they actually realize actually range is not the best. I need to get these melees, but now I've thrown everything in the, on a tree. I've thrown everything here into range. What do I do? Mm -hmm. Is it better just to make a new account, or do I try and change everything over now? Yeah. It's, it's, maybe we should just touch on that briefly. It's a really interesting um, thing, isn't it? Ranged in Conqueror's Blade. I mean, I'm I'm not much of a ranged. I'm I'm, I'm not much of a ranged. I'm not much of a cavalry. I'm just an infantry player, predominantly. Mm. I like melee. I like being in the front of the fight. Same here. Um, 
So, so range is really interesting because I think um, it can be effective, of course. You know, good range can can be good. But as you say, a lot of new players are drawn to ranged. And sort of mediocre range is kind of like a, a hallmark of Conqueror's Blade sometimes and a hallmark of a bad team, really. Yeah, I mean, you have the typical NA going, oh, EU only plays range, and EU going, oh, NA only plays range. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, you yeah. always have that argument. So, and, and how do you... Do you try and discourage that or not it's always interesting i sort of I never want to comment on it too much on video you know do you try and stop people from playing ranged because it would make for better teams but at the same time people should be able to do what they want in the game and enjoy it it's just mm. really interesting i think the whole um range thing i'm always conscious of not doing you know too i don't want to i would never do yeah. like two archer but videos in a row so you yeah but it's like when it's played range. well it can be really effective. But right. you do have the typical, oh, we could have won this push, but there's three guys sat with their range halfway back across the map. Watch. With the hero stood yeah. with them. Yeah, in the, the same with them. Yeah. <laughs> Trying exactly. to lob an arrow. And, it, and it's always a long sword. I don't know why, but it's always a long sword. <laughs> <laughs> got, to, got to keep them healthy. Um, <laughs> Give it a speed boost. Do you, do, you, do you look at maybe potentially having some sort of um, unit lock where you can only have X number of units in, in each round, you know? Do you look at something mm -hmm. like that? Is that going to be healthy for the game where you say, actually, you can only have, let's say, for example, 10. You can only have 10 units of cab. You can only have 10 units of this. Do you look at some kind of lock like that? I don't, Is yes, that going to be healthy for the game? I, I, I'll speak from an uh, example when I was on EU2. We had a guy that um, I think he had... An underlying health condition that meant he could mostly only play with one hand, but he had moments when he could play with two, and it meant that he really did enjoy his ranged units because they required a lot less micro, and they he was able to play them. And by mm. putting that cap on it, I think you do you eliminate the guy that's just logged on at seven p.m. on a Friday. He's done a full day's work and just wants to play his favorite unit in his favorite game on his favorite class and have some fun like we don't want to ever discourage that that is the, that is the but then that then we're circling right the way back around to the start aren't yep. we? which is how do you balance such different play styles because some mm -hmm. people are just it, it is at the fundamentally it is a game and you know it's supposed to be yeah fun <laughs> for again, I, I think, different people i think a lot of that is down to especially more pronounced recently like you touched on earlier is that because the player base is so low now, the matchmaking is just... It, I mean, matchmaking in this game has always been questionable from, from my personal experience. I agree. Um, especially if you look at Ranked, for example, even in the first season when it came out and there was still a, a decent player base in the game, I could miss the first two weeks of Ranked. The first game I would play the next week, I'll be the lowest rank and I'll get matched into a game with one of the top 25 in, in Ranked. You know, right. It's always had that matchmaking option, but I can't queue up with them, but I can still get into the game with them. And I think that's more prevalent in Sieges recently. My experience the last couple of weeks in Sieges have been the games are re normally 9 times out of 10 are a one-sided stomp mm -hmm. at the moment. That, that's my experience at the moment in the game, which I don't think is very good or healthy for the game. Um, but again, that, that's down to the player base. You know? We're talking about sort of the veteran experience of how to keep veterans here, but they need to do something to bring in more new players. If you yes. look, at the look at the advertising for the game, yeah. what do you see them advertising at the moment? Almost nothing. I remember back five, six, seven seasons ago, probably longer than that, too, it was probably 10 seasons ago, I would see an advert every single day on Facebook for it. Even just that. You know, the amount of streamers they're getting to play the game. They had the mountain play the game, for goodness sake. Like, yeah. So t t t two things that I'll touch on here, on, if we're going on down the marketing route, is um, 
uh, one, even I did some of the adverts for the game. So, I mean, it's kind of testament to how sort of minimal the marketing was. It's got, the only got... advert I ever saw for the game was <laughs> you, Evo. And that was after I'd been playing it for about three months. So. Right. Yeah, no, it's, and I mean, you know, obviously glad to help however I can, but I don't think that necessarily is testament that we're sort of really on a high tier marketing. And Yeah, um, and, and then just to cut you in there, sorry, but just going on that as well, is like when they do get people to play the game, they're just fighting on against bots. But you look at right, the main thing, he was just fighting right. against yeah. AI. That was it. That's all he was doing. Because that is what the game is when you first start. So it's not yeah. the best market for the game. I mean, how did you find the game, Evo? Um, well, for me, it was when Total War Arena collapsed. And then a lot of the Total War Arena community moved over to this beta of Conquest Blade. And then that's when I joined and, and got talking mm. to... It was Caden at the time. I don't know how many people in the, uh, in the comments yeah, will remember Caden. Caden but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and that's how I, I ended up getting into it. But, I mean, to touch briefly on your point about um, when they hire people in and then they tend to have a bad experience, you know, like you say, just playing with bots. So I did a sponsored video for a game called Albion Online. And as part of that sponsorship, they basically offer to pair you with an existing content creator and they walk you through the game. Because Albion's quite a t- it's so much there. Yeah, still which is what I want for this content. game as well. It's, yeah, it's something I've I always agree. wanted to do. Because an, another famous... Case I remember is, um, I don't know if you follow League of Legends much, but Dyrus played the game for a bit. But he hated it because he was sat in just queues all the time trying to get into matchmaking. Because at that point on NA, they didn't have the best player base. And he'd be sat in queue. Just, he, I remember vividly just watching him inside, I think it was Orgolia, just on his horse, jumping around in a circle for two or three, four minutes, five minutes, waiting for a queue to pop. And, that was the, and that's why he ended up stopping playing, because of the queues, I think. I don't know, 100% yeah. on it. But... I've always wanted them to get people, get these high priority people in, but pair them up with someone. Give them a higher level account, for example. You know, give them an account that's already got everything unlocked. It doesn't matter, but allow them pair them up with someone who has game knowledge, or at least have them prep them. Because I didn't watch the Oxcast stuff, but what was that like, Drayton? Because you said that got you into it. So the Oxcast one was there were a number of members of that community that already played the game, and as soon as it became um, obvious that these this big advertising campaign kicked off, those players came in and said, right. I've played like I'm I'm a level 500. Let me help you. And these the Yogscast players have the guarantee that it's going to be terrible gameplay. That's one of the things that they guarantee. And they went from being unable to take on the Great Wall, which was the really hard challenge that you could do like three or four times a week um, against AI. And if you remember, Halberdier sergeants just kick your ass and they spawn wave after wave of them. And they couldn't get past the first stage of that. But then when they were shown how to do it by some of the members of the community, they were then able to do it on their own. And they were then able to teach others. And that's kind of how they they started three houses, formed their own alliance. Um, the members were the lieges. And they they didn't play for very long, but there's a really famous member on EU2 and part of the Yogscast com- community called Suro the Death. And Suro would give them a weekly update on how they'd gone on in Territory War. And then you'd see it in their later videos saying, oh, I love my updates from Suro. So um, that, like, it then kept it going for a bit longer. And then they did another campaign on EU5 um, when that first or was early in its um, infancy. But they've not come back to it since. And I think the issue that you had with that is a load of players swarmed in and then some of them went, you know what, I do really like this game. And then they wanted to learn more and then other players moved on. But we're not getting that massive influx of players from where a thousand people start playing the game and 300 stuck around. Like, that's a pretty good return. And that's what happened because of those. Mm. Um, I And we spoke about this. I think a new server 
where veteran players are not allowed to transfer onto to be introduced and you then get a big advertising campaign match up these like sponsored people with known members of the community that speak their language that have played the game a while and show them how to do it and then take them through like a couple of territory wars even that would be an amazing experience and you then get an influx of players that aren't met with this impossible skill curve that is it currently exists in the game so the if we look at the breakdown of a new player we're going to talk with um Plumption about this tomorrow i think they you play against bots and with bots and then you play against bots with players and then you play against five players with bots and then you hit about level 100 and then you're against top tier players that the, the curve is just impossible but is it is it too late now is my question is it too late to get that player sim because the game is quite well known amongst the communities have people have already too many people tried it and then gone off it because of the state of the game at the time because you know you talk about the yogs cast they have a very big following is there the following that other people can bring in that wouldn't have already played the game, haven't all been turned off it, that don't realise that the game is in a much better state now? So is I mean, there that player base there? Watching Evo's videos from early seasons to now, the game is it's recognisable, but it's come a long it's, way. It's so different, mm. isn't it? It's it is, so different. It is, it is hard to imagine. I can't actually remember that much being like that without, until I actually go back and watch the videos and think... Christ, I didn't. I can't remember the UI even looking like this. Yeah, you even. Yeah. I, I see it when people like pull out old screenshots from like season, you know, before season five. So I'm like, is that how the game used to look? Like, wow, yeah, it's amazing. I don't remember it, that. It, yeah, it is quite incredible. How so, it so much has changed, and I think we need to accept that there have been positive changes, and we need to like advertise those. But whether or not they're happening, and whether or not that's on the future plans, is a point of discussion i think yeah. if we can get that new server that is protected from level 4000s descending upon it and just noob stomping i mean you'll have that to a certain extent because people will just create new accounts to play on there but yeah that, if, you, if you if you stop people from transferring to it it's fair it's 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 one of the feedbacks i've given to them since the starting like i said i used to have a feedback session at the end of every season I said either you lock one region where once you're a certain level you it you know you you have to leave mm -hmm. or you make a new server, so merge all the servers, you make a new one, that stays by itself for, you know, one, two, three seasons. At the end of that, that then merges into the main one, then you make a new server, and you have that cycling repeat that keeps the population up in the one server, but also gives that aspect for these new players to learn the game amongst players of the same mm. skill level. My concern is, is it too late for that? Can they you get the player base to... in? The, the problem I think CB tends to have is that the thing ever quite goes... <laughs> very smoothly if you did do that which is, i agree i think is a good thing but you have to hit the ground running right there's no point not having enough players in that server on day one so you have to advertise you know as it launches right it has to be there ready players going in there's no point bringing new players in if there's only 50 people on the server cross server matchmaking is enabled and they can't get a match mm -hmm. it's completely pointless the server has to be smooth and running when it's released not on day one or someone's actually installed the game probably on, wrongly on the server it's got to come out for six hour maintenance it, it, all these things nothing ever really just lines up perfectly you have to hit day one running i remember when this game first released back in 2019 or something whenever it was we had really good initial day one player numbers and there was huge server lag how many players their only experience of conqueror's blade was just lag on day one on day two yeah. you know, it took i mean two weeks it's so frustrating you, you... And things like that yeah, I mean, you look at it historically. I mean, I don't know what it's like for yourself, but amongst us, amongst my circle especially, there's like a, a sort of running joke that any new thing that comes in, you know, it's going to be broken on day one. 
Yeah, it's just a, it's just a thing with 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 CP. You just that's what you expect. Like when they did the big territory war changes, there was drill mode the first day. Anytime there's any change that impacts territory war, it's normally a drill mode the first day, which they announce after territory war started because something's yeah. gone wrong. Yeah, I mean even even like for example, which it's hard to without. I don't want to make it all about me, but even like things like the PTR, I find it really frustrating that they have the capacity to run about two custom matches. Like that, this is this is supposed to be this is the first time the season has shown off to new players, live streaming to the entire CB community, and, and we people can't test units because actually what people are watching are people having an error message twenty times. And it's like yeah, this is I mean this is the first impression. <laughs> yeah, you can you can tie it into the tournament as well. The original like CBLs, you couldn't do practice games on the tournament server because they said that their servers didn't have the capacity to run custom games at a large level. All the only custom games yeah. they could do was when the matches were live, and that was it. Yeah, you couldn't yeah, it's, like it's, you it's, wouldn't have access. Now yeah. they've developed it enough that you have access to those custom games normally during the week with the tournament server. But even still, like that was how it was to start with. You'd have to try and, and back then we didn't have custom lobbies on the live game either. So yeah. trying to do you couldn't do practice games. You'd have to just do lots of strats and things like that. Yeah, yeah. But day one is so important. This the game makes or breaks on you know the new season release has to work day one. The new server has to work day one. You know you don't get second chances in games. Mm. Things have to work, and and if you if they keep if you keep making mistakes like that, then it just you just cannot build a, a large game population. You just don't get to recover from those mistakes. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. We um we've talked a lot about a lot of things. Um, there were some other examples that I really wanted to talk about how the game had changed since watching say beta gameplay, preseason gameplay to now, and one of the largest ones which is kind of poignant this season, is we've got a new piece of artillery. And mm. artillery has been an integral part of the game since, well, certainly since I've played. But it's changed a lot. I, I remember when a mortar shell could wipe out an entire unit of Imperial Spearguard, if it was placed well. Um, Evo, one of your videos that I watched from your preseason one, um, you headshot a guy with a cannon, probably a blue one, did like 50,000 damage to him and just instantly killed him <laughs> and his unit. Yeah, I mean, one of the biggest ones is culverins. They used to ha not have a, a maximum number of things they could hit, right? So you just fire it through and it would just hit every single unit that it would hit. Now I think it's a maximum of, is it five or ten or something that can hit? Something like that, yeah. and, and it's the same with uh, Siege Blisters, for example. They can only hit, is it 15 units, I think, at the moment now? Or it might even be less than that. But they have a certain num maximum number a that cap. they can kill. Yeah. Actually, I think it might even be five, actually, not 15, for Siege Blisters. Um, so that never used to be a thing either. You know, there's been so much. I remember back in the the preseason. Well, actually, no, season one in Were Rabbits when we were fighting. Well, it might have been season two actually, because it was when we were fighting Injustice, and the city was almost impossible to take because of the amount of siege that they placed. Just cannons, mortars everywhere, and it was almost impossible to push into it. Because of course, back then you didn't have things like Falcos that could counter siege. It was mm -hmm. literally you jump in with your hero, or you counter it with your own siege, which is when you were fighting in the western cities at the time, were almost yeah. impossible. Yeah, that is true. It is amazing how much artillery has changed, as you say. It did used to be just absolutely ridiculous. Um, it has thankfully been toned down a lot more now. But I mean, artillery is a lot more readily available now than it used to be as well. Mm -hmm. uh, artillery used to be a lot more rare yeah. and unique. You even look at the new event now, the, the raider camp one outside, which was the old um, rebel camps. You can get siege from that. You know, you can each time you play that, you can, you get a chance of getting a new siege. But I've had culverins, mortars, cannons. Siege, uh, ballistas, Scorpios, you can get loads of Siege from that, and it's blue and purple you can get as well. So there is a lot more Siege in the game. One thing I would 
like them to do again is bring back another Bombard event because there are a lot of players that have never seen or used a Bombard because it was something <laughs> that was back in like season, what was it, two or three that they first brought it in that everyone yeah. got one of them and then they just haven't done it since. Yeah, the I only time you really mind. see it now... Yeah, I mean, the only time you really see it now is in like capital attacks and defences or the CMs using it because if you don't have a Bombard, you can't search for it on the store either. So even if someone sells it, you can't find it unless you have a Bombard. Right. <laughs> Didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, something that's been from the start. So I would like to see them bring that back because I think it adds some variation, adds some excitement as well. Because most of the time, bombards built are bad bombards. You'll kill your own team with it, but it adds some fun. It adds some excitement, and that's something that a lot of the players in this game don't have. Because I remember, I remember using mine in ranked the first season of ranked, and it was so much fun. Just sit, I, I had it. I think it was on what was it? It was on Sun City. I had two, so I had one on hid on um, Hidden City that I was using against Tiggs and actually Samra at the time, because I think it was just, I think it was after I'd left the house and, and gone into POC, I think it was. So they were against me, so I was like, I'm using my Bombard. I think I killed one of them, but, but basically hit nothing. <laughs> but the second one was on Sun City, and it was the most stacked ranked lobby I'd ever seen. It was like all the top players in one lobby, basically. And it was on Sun City defense, and I sat on the last point with it and shot it into sea and killed like three heroes and like 80 units or something. It was like the best thing. I, I was just like, this is, this is incredible. This is amazing. <laughs> but then the next shot missed completely, and then someone came and killed it. So you know, it's really hit or miss, but it adds that excitement, adds that bit of just who knows what's going to happen so players are good to use it they get to use it on reggie but there's three of them and there's 15 people all on all spawning on the same point trying to get hold of it um but you then look at again slightly relating this to new players versus veterans veterans know where to put their artillery and they've they've made the mistakes of putting (laughs) putting it down too close to a wall behind them so then when they jump onto it they can't see anything um we've all done it um, yep. And you you have to you have to fall down rabbit holes. You have to make mistakes to then learn how to get better. And I think the communities are much better. The high, the standard of play is a lot better now than it certainly was a couple of seasons ago. Mm. And you have to make mistakes. So if you want to use that incredibly precious, I have one of these, and I'm only ever going to get one of these resource, and you put it down wrong, where's the satisfaction in that? And you you literally had one bite of the apple, and you've you've messed it up there's if you're going to have things that are up on this pedestal you need to have and they're going to they're game changers you need to have the ability to practice with them and that's where i i think that reintroducing that would be really really cool um are there any final points before we start to summarize i'd say because we have talked for an hour and a half cracky time flies (laughs) i think one one little one that i want to just get Eva's uh, opinion on is the difference in territory wars now to what it used to be. So obviously we used to have what was called the click wars, you know, historically, especially with like Congress City. Whoever clicked on the city and whoever managed to load in first, that was how you decided who would get who would get in and who would try and get control of that. So remember, especially like the gates of Congress City, you just had like 100, 150 people on every gate just spamming click, trying to get in, trying to load the battle fast enough. People learning like what angle to put your camera so it would load into the menu faster, yeah. all that kind of stuff. So now it went, well, it went over to then like the resource nodes. And now it's just, you know, just prestige now. So how that, how that has evolved, what's your opinions on that? It has changed a lot. It, 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 interestingly, on the click was I used to, before I played Conquer Blade, I used to play EVE um, online. And a lot of that used to be about how quickly you could try and grab the loot, particularly if you're in a, a high contest area. So I was quite good at the, at the click wars to try, to try and get in. So I, was always, I always did okay on that. Um, it's interesting how it's changed, isn't it? Obviously, I think it's... The, the, the problem I find with... The territory boys. Whenever there's a change, there tends to be uproar from what I from what I see on the sidelines a little bit, and they try and change things based on some of the problems and then create 
sometimes another three problems. I do feel like it's a better system now, but it's it's interesting to watch because I don't I'm not doing it day to day. It's interesting to watch from the sidelines and kind of see the thing. But you almost always see whenever they make a substantial change to the way they want to change the mechanics in territory war. It's always interesting to see how everyone's always so up in arms about it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a less random system now, which I think is good. Yeah. And I think to an extent for the veterans, it is good because it encourages, again, more gameplay. You've got to log in. You've got to do daily quests. You've got to do thief quests. You've got to win sieges to get the to get house the finished, to get that prestige. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, it introduces problems of, oh, well, we, some houses we know of that will just make a new account and do some quests and then make a new account, join the house and do some quests and make a new account. And there is ways of abusing it. But I do think overall is better because it adds less just randomness to the game. It, it, yeah. You actually have to do stuff. It encourages you to play more. Um, when it's not broken. The, there have um, been a few times where the new region opens just as everyone's going to move over and you save your prestige and then it's a drill mode because they messed up right. something. Yeah, which is it, it, kind of goes back to what we said earlier, doesn't it? They do have that... It is a slight annoying ability that they seem to be able to do that quite a lot. Um, sometimes it's the small things I find. Like, um, I really like this season how we've got fame for doing siege battles. Like, it's just that little, it's a small thing. It's a really yeah. small thing, but a little encouragement. It just makes you think, oh, that wasn't a complete waste of time. I've got 100 yeah. fame for winning that. that. That's nice because uh, new or veteran, people want to be getting through the fame store because there's some pretty good rewards in it. So, yeah, I mean, like that I, don't I, like. think, I don't think the fame store was ever a big issue to get maxed if you were active. But like you said, for those casual players that just come on for a couple hours mm-hmm. on the weekend, that makes it easier than to max that out. So it is useful. Yeah. You know, it helps you get it faster. You don't need it because with donations and things, you can hit it if you're active. But it is nice to have that on there as well. Yeah, for me, I like it. I, I'm often away with work for a week or two on end, so I end up missing a week of donations. And so for mm. me, I quite it's, it's quite nice to, <laughs> to have a chance of catching up slightly. I, th- I think there's a difference in emphasis as well between like daily quests versus weekly. Um, mm-hmm. Seasons and seasons ago, I don't know if you guys remember, they used to be, you used to be able to do your daily quest twice. Yeah, if you logged in at a certain if, point. If you logged in early in the yeah. morning and then you hit, for our time, about 5 p.m., it reset your daily quest. And you're able to do it twice. And when you're trying desperately to get like every honor that you can possibly get mm-hmm. to then unlock the latest tier 5, an extra 300 honor was you playing for another two or three hours. So it made a big difference. So, yeah, um, it's amazing how irrelevant honor feels now, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it does. Well, that's one of the things I was going to mention as a veteran. How are you with honor? Because with me, I've been honor maxed for a very long time. My inventory is full of honor tokens. I've probably got about two or three hundred thousand, if not more, honor just in tokens in my inventory. It's like when do you, I, I? I imagine they'll do something with it eventually, but and especially now that it's like the honor tree is kind of redundant because they're not evolving that. They're not adding that. It's all seasonal units now. Do you think they should add more honor tree units like they did with the with the um, monastic tree and everything they brought in the rattan tree do you think that would be something that's healthy for the game for them to bring in another honor tree um set of units it's, 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 it's yes and no isn't it because they've sort of backed themselves into a corner on that front it would be nice but how do you do it without compromising a season i suppose mm. say you put a season into the honor tree then basically they're basically saying oh we don't want any money for the next three months so, so, so what you know? How does it ever happen? That's that, that's. Yeah. I agree. And, unless it's a side project they work on over sort of three or four seasons of building a building a set of units, it, it would be really nice. And most importantly, when are we going to get our tier five longbows? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've noticed they a real increase. So long. I've seen a real increase in longbows this season. Yeah, here's, here's my couple of reasons for that. Yeah. Yeah. Here, here's my input on that. 
Longbows as a unit can be devastating. They can be used very well. They deal a lot of damage. The problem is that, like we've discussed, a lot of the time you will have a longsword hero that sits at the back of the map with them mm-hmm. and is useless. Like yeah. not the range, it's just the whole range conversation we kind of touched on earlier as well. It's like yes. range when played well can be very devastating, and that's where a lot of new players pick it up because they'll play some range early on against some of the bots. They'll farm like 150 unit kills with it. It's great, but then they start matching up against the better players with the heavy shielded units. The range isn't going to do very much. The heroes jump in, punish their range, then they don't really do anything. That's where it's then deemed as, as useless by a lot of the community. But when you play it well, like we've got some people in Origin that will regularly play longbows that will farm 200 unit kills with it. Because they know what to do with it. They're not sat with the unit. They're pushing with the team, but they're targeting their units where they need to. Yeah. If they lose it, they lose it. But they've caused the pressure. They've done the damage they need to do with it. Yeah. Yeah, no, it is. And you're absolutely right. And it, it, it's obviously hard. It's very satisfying, particularly as a glaive hero with the mounted horse ability just to run through a unit of longbows and just, just do a spin right through the middle and the, the entire thing is dead. <laughs> and it's, just, it's obviously quite fun. And it's also and interesting long to see... as well, where they change yeah. the old... Yeah, you uh, so charge. have the hitboxing once you can charge and kill all them now. <laughs> Same. So you sometimes get them on um, the um, I can't remember what they're called. But it's not bandit raid. Well, it might be bandit raid. Whatever the one is where you get the most experience. The the, new, the current version of expeditions mm-hmm. use basically. And you yeah, sometimes every now and then you'll get a newer player who spawns in with I don't know Namcans or something, and then they end up getting three kills through the entire thing. And everyone and else is four hundred. Like, yeah, you're <laughs> yeah. like monks or cav, and you're like four hundred, five hundred unit kills, yeah. and then you just look yeah, back no. and they're sat oh. they're sat in the middle of the map on the recent like dying to cav with like five unit kills, and you're like, <laughs> and you just think, oh, oh no. Buddy. I, I, I remember help, but... <laughs> I remember playing Expedition Threes, and you play with that guy that would get three hundred kills, and you'd be like. I hate that person. And then mm. I've played the game so long, I've become what I hated. <laughs> yeah, but then it's, it's even like with Expedition 3s used to be quite difficult, and you'd have to, like, you get the certain maps, like, you get the village map where you had to set up shields in certain areas, or yeah. you would just lose. Yeah, yeah. And that's one thing I've liked recently, they've made these events a lot harder. Like, with the bandit camps you have at the moment, they're not easy to win. They're easy to win if you know what you're doing, but the first time you do it, you go in, you, you just lose. You die, you get overwhelmed by halberds. Like, it's not an easy thing to do. Once you know the layout, once you know what you're doing with it, you can complete it quite easily, but it's not like it's just a free event they bring in, you're like, oh, this is easy, yeah, let's farm it, cool, let's go. It requires some thinking, requires some brain cells to actually so there's do, which is what I like about Petra Experience. Yeah. Have you had yeah. a chance to play that yet, Evo? I have dabbled in it. I've not done it properly, no. You've not done it properly? Like, no. It's a question of, like, you would be going into this fresh. I had people show me how to do it. Like how how are the new players gonna come up against the game mode? Because it is punishing. If you mm. if you don't know what's gonna happen when it's gonna happen, and you misstep at all and are killed, you potentially have just spawned another four units of halberdier sergeants that you just don't have the stuff to deal with. Yeah. yeah. Um. I think we touched upon this earlier. Like, how as veterans are we able to pass that knowledge on if we're not in the same guilds as people? If we're not in the same houses? Yeah. I think I think it's I think it's difficult. I think um, it's funny, isn't it, how there's always that mix. I feel like I've probably got the audience, but not necessarily skill necessarily to always teach that. Mm. Um, and then sometimes it's the other way around that there's probably some very skilled people with a small audience, so it doesn't yeah. get the message out. Really, yeah. the two seem to coincide. Um, so I think, I think, you know, veteran players, it, it can be quite a toxic community, which isn't necessarily a good thing for it. But sometimes, you know, there is a lot, people can do a try and respond to comments in game if someone says someone last the other day you know what skills are you using on your glaive it doesn't take long just to tell a new player mm. i'm using this 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 and this and that makes a big difference because there's nothing to tell you what skills to use but a hero skills makes a huge difference if you're using 
the wrong thing. I mean, it's just it's just it's just crap. You know, if you're using hail of blades, it's just pointless. So little things, you know, that we can all do, and the people listening to this can do, is just just try to be helpful. Sometimes just try and explain where people are going wrong without just shouting at them. Yeah, <laughs> I think one thing that. Know. Yeah, I think one thing that's helped with that, honestly, it sounds bad, but I think like some of the drama discords have actually helped with that stuff as well. Mm -hmm. Because whilst they can be very toxic, you have a lot more interaction between a lot of players. Whereas historically, players would be in their house, they'd be on their house discord, there weren't many shared discords around there where people could talk to each other. And there's a few discords that I'm on now, like the drama discord, there's another discord full of vets in there as well. I'm on where just a lot of people from different houses just talk to each other, share screenshots, talk about stuff about the game. And that has helped a lot with that as well, which I don't think the game really has that feature because the official discord, yeah, you can talk on it. I've, I've jumped on there a few times, tried to answer some questions, but it doesn't really get very far. People don't do that much in there. And even looking at sort of the content creator side of it with streaming, I, I need to stream more regularly because I'm not very regular with it at all. But there's not much of a player, but there's not much of a viewer base there. You'll see most people streaming yeah. Conqueror Blade will have 20 maybe viewers max. Sometimes people can get more than that. Drops do help when they come out. But even even with that, I've had it where I've been streaming. I've had new players come on, and be like, "Oh, what about this? What about that?" And you do get some interaction there. Mm -hmm. But it's not at the it's not at the level that we really need for the game to go in the right direction. Which is where I think we are missing those training houses, so to speak with vets that will actually sit down and, and help these players. Because I remember when I first started, I, I trained up a lot of people when I first started because I was playing the game so much. And even just the thing of the old um, bandit, uh, the old uh, rebel camps, because they were quite difficult back in the day because you, you didn't have tier five units. You barely had tier yeah. fours. And I taught so many people how to be able to do those and where you had to wall off, where you had to put your units to be able to farm, going ahead of time to kill the siege, all that kind of stuff. You don't count yeah, this yeah. point until you've done that. Yeah. All those little things. I, I absolutely loved training people how to do that. It was so much fun. And that's yeah. why event, I think I will probably make a training house at some point. But I, I just don't want to do it at the moment. But that's what the game needs, is these houses that have people that are willing to train other people up. Yeah. Would it be an option to say in this locked new a locked region where you have a, a level cap of 200 within that you have some nominated members of the community that are there specifically to kind of like show people the ropes would the, would that it's, it's just I'm how to think of how yeah. would you code that how would you police that how would you stop people from just going in you know cuz yeah. like how could they say for example temple shop will give you access to this region so you can go help people out how would they actually put that into the game yeah, that that's a difficulty. Um, it is. Yeah, I, th I think it all it all comes down to actually how easy are these things to implement, and if you've got the resources that. This is one of the things about the game that it, it has so much potential. Fundamentally, it's a phenomenal game, but it's the way in which it's executed that it, it's lacking at times. And if we look at the world map, if you've ever like scrolled out from it. You scroll out once and you get like a wider view and you scroll out again and then you get the map. But as you transition from the wider view to the map, you have the entire world laid out, the entire region you're in laid out in front of you. And you can see everything moving around, but you only see it for about a second. And then you pop into this like this cartoon map. Like mm. It's got the resources there, but it's, choosing, it's almost choosing not to use them. It, it's, it's done so much hard work early and then has chosen an easy option. and. Like, it's got so much potential, and it just needs to implement it slightly differently to how it is now. Yeah, I think that's a, a just a running thought with most veterans of this game, right? This game has such huge potential to be a really, really fun and, and top-level game, but it's just certain small things over history that's held it back. The whole thing with server issues early on in the game that mm. wasn't dealt with and wasn't even addressed until about season nine or ten. You know, they, it was like the CMs were just ignoring it; they just wouldn't 
react to it. They wouldn't give any kind of thought on it. And then they finally yeah. addressed it. Things have gone a lot better now. Like, I don't see as many server issues now, or if, if the many at all, compared to historically, you'd have like every other siege, something would happen, someone would crash, someone oh, would, you know, things yeah. would happen like that. It used to be really bad. And, 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 and they ignored asked, it. They just pretended yeah. it wasn't there. It's very frustrating. I mean, there are still issues with server desync, but that's another topic. But like, you know, you'll knock someone down on your screen that they fall over to your right, but then on their screen, they're in front of you. So when they get up, they teleport. There's still that issue occasionally, mm-hmm. but it's not as prevalent as it used to be. It used to be almost every time you knock someone down, they disappear and appear someone else, somewhere else. Yeah. So yeah. I think just, I, we kind of want to sort of round it up now and, and yeah. sort of summarize. I've, I've got a list of, um, I think, key questions that we should answer, and that will be kind of our main takeaways from this. Um, and I think the first one is what do we like? What do we like currently that is being done reasonably well? And if we had the opportunity to have more of it, what would that be? I mean, I like the, I think it's quite an all round thing to say that the, it's the whole game that's improving. I like the diversity of units. We talked about Falcos, they change game mechanics, they change the way things are played. You've got flames, coconut throwers. Different types of pikes are not just Imperial Pike Guard anymore. Different types of cavalry, lots of different infantry combinations. You've got the Romans, you know, not particularly strong in melee, but a great shield brush which can break through things. We've got Imperial Shield Guards, which are now finally actually good shields after about three years. (laughs) So, you know, I really like that diversity that we finally sort of seem to be getting into the game now. They need to be quicker on the balance, but the diversity as a whole, I think is what's starting to make the game interesting. And then as we add that into things like, you know, as Temple just mentioned, improved servers, a better new player experience, it starts to produce a more well-rounded game than it's ever been before. What do you think, yeah, I, I definitely agree with you on that. I think the overall all balance of the game is, is very good moment. One of the things I actually do like at the moment is the events they brought in. The, most, the, the recent events they've done the last couple of seasons have genuinely been really good. I mean, some of them do get a bit tedious when you've got to do them like daily, for example, but Overall, the events themselves have been fun. It's been new, like even with the Riot Act that's come in, that was a completely new thing they've never done before. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it had some aspects of like deathmatch in there, but it was just something completely new, completely different play styles, different abilities. You know, you would get a lot of the escape abilities, all that kind of stuff. It brought in a lot of variations of the game. It brought people playing light armors that a lot of people that have played heavier the whole time had never done before, which has then been really healthy for the game as well. So I think for me, it's the events that have been really, really good. What about yourself, Jason? Um, I really like what they've done with the custom lobbies. I think features like mm. that have completely changed how the end game content for players like myself. Like I come from a very sporty background, and I want that competitive itch scratched. So we were when I first joined, ranked wasn't a thing. Um, they introduced ranked. They then introduced the custom lobbies, which matched up with then people like Bird of um, Kin going let's do this tournament and then cb picking it up and doing a pretty decent like actually a phenomenal job on running cbr given everything that he's had to go through so the opportunities to kind of listen to what the community has asked for like we asked for custom lobbies for ages and then when it finally arrived and the product as evo is um evo's point was on day one worked we were then able to really enjoy it and it enabled a whole new level of game for us. And it, it was it was really fun. And then the tournaments that came in as well. We waited a while for another CBL, but I think it was well worth the wait. Yeah, definitely. This this last CBL was, was very successful, I would say. Uh, I do think there's still work they can do with the custom lobbies. I think there's yeah. definitely some things they can do to improve it, but it, it is such a good 
thing that they introduced so healthy for the game like you said all these tournaments I, th I think a lot of the play base would have left if it wasn't for all these fan-made tournaments they kept a lot of people engaged in this game at a high competitive level okay um, so, so really th that's things game. we like um what would you say things that we dislike and we would look to change remove or reintroduce even i think those three I, options I give us plenty um, of scope I, I, I suppose i guess i'll answer it in two parts for me i guess it's not really an in-game thing, but it's the lack of marketing, like we talked about. It doesn't matter how good we make the balance. It doesn't matter how polished we make the game. If no one plays it, it's kind of irrelevant. And I think that also cuts in with things like the CBL. You know, why is it taking so long to have a second one? There are. It was obviously popular the first time, um, and yet such that gap between them. You know, tournaments yeah. like that, trying to get the game into an esports place is really an obvious route to go. It's clearly a good competitive game that can be played competitively. Why haven't they pushed that more? They have on Frontier, they should be over here. It's an easy thing Especially when it was cried out for so much by the playbase as well. That was yeah, probably one of the absolutely. things they cried about the most. I mean, we yeah. even had teams that would go to the Asian CBL and compete there because they, there wasn't the option here. Like, you couldn't... I, I myself went and entered one of the Asian CBLs. There was a couple yeah. of other teams entered it as well because it wasn't here. And that was playing at like 1 o'clock in the afternoon because there yeah. wasn't any other option. And, and sure, there's a cost associated with running it. You know, they did bring in people with the back end. From I mean, I was one of the commentators there, so I saw a little bit of the back end side of things. But it's not that much in the grand scheme of the marketing that they get associated with it and the overall results. So really hope that they follow up with that. Something, I guess, uh, I, I keep adding this pressure, but I will keep doing that as well. I hope they continue to do it. Um, and then I guess... It's a little bit more thought around the speed of balance. It's probably my in-game thing that I uh, am annoyed at the most. I don't mind balancing mistakes. They can make mistakes. It's, they're not perfect. It's very hard to balance things. A lot of units are balanced on a knife edge and one slight error and it suddenly becomes passively over or underpowered. But it's the speed of fixing those mistakes, which is frustrating. It doesn't need mm. to take a whole season to adjust a unit balance that is off. I know you might not have thought about this, but... um. It, it's definitely a problem. It's the speed at which things yeah. changed. Any ideas what a potential solution could be from us as players to that? Would That's introducing so. channels of feedback, would having focus groups be a thing? Because everyone's got their personal bias. From, from my experience, they have that channel of feedback. They have the yeah. content creators. They have a lot of people. they even got mods will give them that feedback as well. So I feel like they have that feed, those feedback channels there. It's mm -hmm. just... Is the issue on my game side where they're not giving that feedback properly to Booming? Was the issue that they give it to Booming and Booming just don't action it? We saw that um, a, a, a spell where, um, how to phrase it, where say I knew Booming had a different balancing director for a while and we saw a lot more statistical balancing introduced. And I think that was even reflected on some of the balancing articles that got released. Um, which I yeah, because they released the ones of statistically what's the most played class, what's the most yeah, played unit, all and, that and, kind of and stuff. Why certain units were being adjusted, and I did quite like that. I thought that was a nice way of representing it, and it comes back to what we talked on very briefly earlier that um, when you give out information freely and be clear, it makes a lot more sense, and people go, "Oh, I see why you're changing that now." That that kind of makes sense, yeah. and it makes it a lot more of a rules-based balance approach because it's adjusting. more tangible, isn't it? It's like yeah. I, maybe I don't nice. agree with it, but I can see why you've done it. Yeah, and I think that was nice. And I think for that period, we also saw slightly quicker balance changes. Um, and I think it's now perhaps changed staff who's in charge of balancing, should we say. And that's uh, perhaps an approach that maybe needs to be... Some, some, some lessons could be learned from the previous changes because I think they were actually very good. Mm. Yeah, brilliant suggestion. Um, Temple. 
Yeah, I guess things, yeah, I mean, marketing is one of the biggest ones, isn't it, really? Uh, just the player base overall is one of the biggest issues that I have with the game. Um, and the second one for me is matchmaking. But that will be that will be alleviated if the player base was higher. Right. Um, so I think those are my two biggest issues, really, with the game at the moment. Because I think overall, I mean, I agree with most things, well, pretty much everything you said as well, even about balancing times and things like that as well. But I think the two biggest ones for me are the, are the matchmaking and the player base. Um, yeah, yeah I mean, you can't I'm solve in complete the agreement with both of you. Without the player base, can you? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because it's just not the numbers currently to fix that, which is a big problem. I, I think so, if, uh, if we have a advertising campaign, I would like my biggest encouragement would be involve the content creators who are knowledgeable and can give new players a boost. Because either you have to fundamentally change how new players experience the game, but then you can't balance it with old players, such as you have a, have it much quicker now to get old seasonal units versus what it is currently. Um, and then that probably makes it slightly redundant. You've, you'll make less money, things like that. So I think there needs to either be a way for players to learn easier, and I think that is through knowledge, hand down. I don't think that's through guides or anything like that, because guides quickly become outdated. Mm-hmm. As we see when every new season, every new rune, every new doctrine, every new veterancy, and balance changes as well. Things or New units go flavor of the month to never played within a patch in some cases. Um, I, I think marketing is a huge thing. And the way in which they strategize that to bring and keep and keep new players to transition from level 120 to level 2000, that's a long way. That's a long time. Mm-hmm. Something something needs to be done to keep that. Um, yeah. I think we've almost all in agreement that that's kind of what the focus should be if there was mm. anything from... Mm. But that's for like more towards my games' actions and more towards the new player experience. But for veterans, what do you think they should focus on for us? Like um, We mentioned new events. We mentioned new specific um, donation kind of style, like for the vault keys or um, treaties. I, I honestly think they're heading in the right direction for the bets. You know, it, it's these quests that are encouraging you to play more. It, it's these events that are encouraging you to play more. All of those things are a very good thing for veterans. If with the right mindset, I think a lot of veterans it's just gotten too late for that, and they're just like, well, what's the point? Um, and I think it's the state of territory wars as well, because that is a big draw for a lot of people. Is that territory wars is kind of dead on most servers? It's most servers, it's just one alliance that holds the entire map basically. Um, but is that down to us as players to fix? Is that down to to the developers to try and fix? You know, there's a lot there, but I think we'll, they are heading. They're we'll definitely talk about heading that right in a later episode. Yeah, a later episode. We'll talk about that. For me, they're definitely doing the right thing for veterans at the moment. It's, it's getting in the right direction. Yeah, no, I would agree. I really would I'd, agree. I'd say that's a nice wrap, to be honest. I think we've touched upon everything. Um, Evo, thank you very much. <laughs> Great insight as well as fun stories. So thank you very much for your time. Been a pleasure. And yeah, Would we'll you like to shout out your uh, socials? Where yeah, please, please, please do. Oh, God, well, if you Google anything related to Conqueror's Blade on YouTube, you're almost certainly going to bump into me. But um, yeah, Evo Loss Gaming on YouTube. Um, I do have a Twitter somewhere, but uh, I only log on once every six weeks. So probably best just to go for the YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, we're looking forward to the next episode where we talk about the new player experience with special guest Plumption. So if you do have any feedback or suggestions for future topics, please do leave a comment below. Don't forget to smash that like button, hit subscribe, and don't forget to ring that bell.